Okay, continuing on, as we're saying, anybody causing disturbances and teach something contrary to what you've been told and laid in the foundation. Before we go to the other scriptures, he said, what? Turn away from them. Titus 3, 9 through 11, real quickly. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions. This was usually brought in by Jews, and some of them claiming to be Christians. Some of them were deceivers trying to cause trouble. He said, striving about the law. He said, don't be brought under that. You're not under that, as they are. All the ceremonies and rituals and days, they were trying to bring them back under Judaism. And he wouldn't have enough to do with this. Paul said, those who try to compel the Gentiles to be circumcised, he said, may they slip with the knife and castrate themselves. That's what he thought about it. He didn't have no bones about telling them because they were bringing in false doctrine trying to replace Christ or minimize his effect. Saying, oh, you're saved through Jesus, but if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. And splitting hairs. They were good at that. Number 10, reject. Now, most of the translations say a divisive man, but in this case, I think they're wrong. The old King James is better. It says, reject a heretic, a schismatic man, after the first and second warning. This word is heretic, however they want to translate it. It's only used once in scripture here. And most translations would call divisive or debaters, but these words mean something different today. A divisive, agitating person can mean anything. A heretic means you add or take from God's word. It's a more serious matter. So I think the word heretic should stand rather than just divisive, okay? People today They even altered the word of God to suit our political situation. They had a good Bible came out years ago, and everybody raved about it. And then when it got to about all the perversions, like homosexuality and transvest and all that, they just decided not to translate it that way. They just translated people who pollute the earth. Well, that's very being very lenient. Any kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, any of those things, uh, perversions, will send you to hell. It don't matter who you are. So we don't alter the word of God, but some try to do it to make it more acceptable. And uh, the Living Bible often did that. It minimized things and said, well, it's so a child. Well, the Bible wasn't written for a child. It was written for adults. So we don't have to translate it. If you lose the meaning, you're not translating. Some Bibles help you some, like the Amplified, give you, but not for certain scriptures, because you can make your own Bible. Well, which of the 12 words do I like the best? That's sort of, no, you find out what the closest word was and translate it into your language. That's the proper way that translation You can get falseness any other way, okay? So he says what? After the second warning, you've warned him once. If he ain't listening, you make sure he's warned again. And then it says in verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped, that means perverted, and sinning, being self-condemned. What does it mean? It means that person will not consider the scripture you've reproved him with and enlightened him and remain stubborn because he adheres to his own opinion, 
rather than what the scripture says. And they were doing this, saying the Gentiles must be circumcised, and they had no valid scripture for this. That was under the old system. They became proselytes, and that's what they wanted. They wanted the Gentiles to be sub-second-class citizens because they were still arrogant and misunderstood what God's intention was. So they wanted them to adhere to certain ceremonies and laws that were under Moses. And when they were straightened out on this by the apostles and by him, and they wouldn't consider it. So he said, reject them. And the word avoid and reject means uh, excommunicate. It means put them out of your midst. The true church could not abuse people, could not beat them, could not make them conform like the Catholic Church did, could not torture them, it could not retaliate. The most the true church could do is not fellowship and could put them out. Why? Because the Lord's not fellowshipping with them. You're not to let them remain if they keep causing. So it's one thing to let a sinner come in and listen and adhere and try to see what's going on. But his opinion doesn't mean anything, and he has no place to speak. The church is for Christians, those who've turned from their sinful lives to the Lord. It is not a house for sinners, as so many false evangelists say. We are sinners saved by grace. Then if you're a sinner, you're not saved by grace. Grace has not bothered you, okay? You've got the wrong kind of grace. Okay, in 18, he said, for such men are slaves... Not to the Lord Jesus, isn't it interesting? Paul understood that Christians in all reality were slaves to the Lord. He owns us. We may be his children. We may be his servant. He owns us. He tells us before, he says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You are under the bondage of the devil and yourself. Now you have a new Lord. So there is no vacuum. He didn't save you to live your life. That's what many people think he's going to do. Rubber stamp their life. Well, they're just as lost as they ever were. And their own appetites, they're into this to get money. Well, we see that today, don't we? They do anything and make merchandise of people and promise them all kinds of things if you'll send us more money. It says, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Who's the unsuspecting? I, I, I can use the word Paul did, James, Jesus did. They're foolish beginners. They're either Christians that just began and won't grow, or they don't want the truth. They want to hear something pleasant. Oh, I've heard people tell me, I don't want to hear good prophecy. I said, well, you're going to end up in hell. Because God don't have no good prophecy of you, for you haven't repented, and you're not following the Lord. You're living your own life, and you, all you want is good, good, good. That's because you're bound to this world. So, mince no words with them. You don't usually hear much from them anymore. But he says, they deceive the spirits, that's your heart, of the unsuspecting. They're not to be pitied, they're unsuspecting. We say, oh, they're ignorant. Paul didn't say that. They're ignorant. Said so they're willingly ignorant. Some of them will not get rooted. They will not obey the Lord and follow. So somewhere along the line, the demon's going to inspire someone to deceive them. And because they don't have the spirit of truth, they're going to fall for it. And God said it must be. Heresies must be. So those among you can prove who's the true Christian. 
So that was God's intention also. Okay. Self-promotion, ministries that get gain, popularity. When you listen, if you do, which I don't, but people tell me, when they listen to all these ministries, they never speak on sin or judgment or wrath or the hell. They want to make people feel good. Well, they're leading them to hell. They're not giving them the full gospel. They're not giving them the whole counsel of God. See? And the people love it so. And it said in the end time, men would turn their hearts away from the truth unto lies. See, they don't want to hear it. And the teachers, false teachers, would have itching ears and say, what do they want to hear? What can I make money off of and get a bigger church? And, and they do it. And it appeals to them. But they're of this world, like he said, their own appetites, their own desires, and they deserve to be deceived. And they're going to be deceived. Okay, 19. Now he speaks to them, for the point of your obedience has reached to all the surrounding churches, he's saying, and to us. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent and what is evil. Okay. Innocent concerning evils. Paul said, it's a shame to even speak of those things that are done of them in secret. These people have these meetings. Well, we're supposed to confess our sins. So they take a a broad view. The confessing of sins is one-on-one -on -one or with a spiritual mature person. And when you're having conflicts or you feel you need to share it, it was not to stand up in a group and confess all your itty-bitty sins. It turned other people on and enticed them, drew them into perversions. And I've seen that happen also. That's the work of the devil. So he says, you don't even speak of those things. We know what they are. We know what adultery and perversion, you don't sit there and give me a three-page report on what you did. That is not needed. He says, so be innocent concerning that. I've had people tell me in the past on certain issues. I'm not that way sometimes, and sometimes it's not to my good. And I'll say something, and they say, oh, you're really innocent to that. Look at me like I'm stupid. I said, well, I haven't been in that. I said, I've never been on drugs, never been an alcohol. I said, I have my other problems. Those weren't one of them, so that don't don't faze me. And they thought you're supposed to know all these things. I said, I guess if you're in the world and you want to be accepted by the world, I guess you have to know all these things, huh? Uh-huh. And then we go to 16. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Then he ends it with the grace of our Lord be with you. God will make a short work on the earth. What 7,000 years? We roughly believe we've been here since Adam and Eve. But Satan and evil will be cast into the lake of fire and all those who follow him. But he's saying, but let God's grace and strength be with you. When they say these blessings, they're not just saying words. God's grace is active. People claim God's grace is irresistible and unmerited. They're preaching a false, a half-truth. Everything God does is unmerited. He's gracious, but it's his nature makes him that way. He's loving kindness. He's slow to wrath. He has no will to sentence the evil to hell. He wishes they'd turn. Uh -huh. But the grace that the Christian gets is the ability. Like he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for its strength and your weakness. So if grace is not active, 
and is not getting strength from the Lord, you have false grace. It doesn't work. There is no irresistible grace concerning what God demands a man. He never touches the will that way. He influences, he inspires, he encourages. But ultimately, the Christian or the man does what he pleases. And that's why being given so many encouragements, 40% of the epistles are warnings, reproves, corrections, admonitions. And these are for Christians who are following the Lord and encourage you to keep doing it. See, what? what is he encouraging? Your will. You have the old man to still contend with, and you're told to keep him under. And if you don't, he can rise up, and your will can do what he wants. God ain't going to alter that. So there is no irresistible grace that way. That's a false teaching also. If there was irresistible grace, then as soon as a person got born again, he would never sin one time in his life. Isn't that astounding? But they make all the excuses. I said, oh, no. What applies, applies. If you say it's irresistible, if he can save you and give you grace, how come he can't save you from your sinning? Because you have an old nature to contend with, and you're still being tempted because you're under probation, and you're under power of this world until you overcome. And Jesus said, and if you overcome, he talks about what he'll give you. But he tells them what will happen if they don't overcome. And he's talking to Christians is what he's talking to. Okay, we'll go down to verse 25. Again, in between, he gives a few more salutations. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, he calls it his gospel, to the Gentiles, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages. Ages past, what is he saying? Calls it my gospel. He laid the apostolic foundation for the Gentiles, and he enlightened the Jewish apostles and what God was doing. He got it first. They got it later. It was hidden until he revealed these things and made it plain by the gifting that was given him. Remember, he said, I was given more grace than them all, the other apostles. And revelation, he was given more grace. So he's given me, explain the ministry that's been hidden, that God would call, what is it? God would call Gentiles into the covenant with the Jews or the circumcision, okay, with those who were under the law and rituals like the Jews were, but he would call all, not only Gentile, but Jews brought into the body, they would be one olive tree, and Christ would be one master to them. There wouldn't be no favorites or difference. And one would not be greater privileged than the other, as a Jew thought they were. Okay, Many people say, well, the Christian's given liberty, not liberty to sin. The Christian is under the law of Christ. And if he does not obey it, he'll lose his salvation. You have to obey the Lord. You have to continue in the vine. And if you don't bear fruit of obedience and maturity and spiritual works, you'll be cut off by the Father and burned. Well, how can you be a part of him and not be cut off? The people say, well, they weren't real Christian. That scripture says they were. They didn't bear much fruit. 
See, they were like to receive the gospel with joy. They received it. But they took no root in it. When trial and tribulation came, they fell away because they didn't get grounded. They didn't obey the Lord to walk and follow and get grounded in the word. That's the law of Christ. 26. But this mystery is now manifested by the scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God. Here is most likely the Christian prophets rather than the old. The scripture, and uh, they were beginning to reveal this then. It wasn't revealed before. What made clear to them? And it has been known to all the nations, leading to the obedience by faith, is what he's talking about. Okay. So the plan is now revealed. It's confirmed by the prophets. We can say the old and the new. And the eternal God who gave commandments for this to be preached to all the nations. Go ye unto all the world, Jesus said, teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say, get them saved and don't worry about it. At least they're saved. He said, teach them, continue everything I've taught you. You're either progressing or you're regressing. And Paul said, I've not yet attained to perfection, but I'm striving for it. So he didn't say there's a place you get, you can say, I don't have to worry about anything no more. You continue in the Lord. You continue in the faith to the end. And if you don't, you forfeit. And that's why the message to the seven churches was, to each one of them, he that overcomes. Never said you overcame. Now John says we overcome as we are in God's will now. But he wasn't talking about the future. Yeah, We have to overcome and stay faithful to the Lord to the end of our lives or until the Lord returns. And then it says, to the only wise God, God's wisdom revealed these things through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. So we see that God's wisdom, he planned this, some scriptures imply and state before the foundation of the world or it was already in God's mind. Many things are already in God's mind. We're focusing on the present because he only deals with us in the present. He's not dealing with us in the past. He's the eternal present God. He is the I am. But what he knows in the past, the future is his business. Okay? So what he's saying, the fullness of time, when the gospel, when Christ came and said it's finished and ascended to the Father and took up the glory of Godhead again, all things then. Like he says here, the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, he does all of this through the Christ. Why? Because he's glorified. He's one with the Father. He is the Word. And as we've said before, Jesus Christ is the eternal God, Isaiah says. He is the Almighty God. So now he acts in the capacity of God himself, and he still has his human nature. And right now, and the human side, he's standing, making intercession for the Christians and for even the believers that they could be moved on and convicted. He's doing this. He came as a savior, a teacher, a prophet. He's acting as a mediator now. But when he comes the second time, it says he will come without salvation. He's coming as a judge and a king, and there'll be no mercy. 
people will either be ready for him or they won't. And the ones that are ready will go with him, and the ones that aren't will be destroyed. Okay. Now, Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding of the practical side of these words that we can apply them to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.